Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out, a podcast about Edmonton, Alberta, or a Miskwichi Wiskaigon on Treaty 6 territory and Métis Region 4. We take questions from curious Edmontonians about local history, and then we find out the answers together. Let's Find Out is a proud partner of Taproot Edmonton. Taproot is a local journalism initiative driven by powerful curiosity. And this season, we're digging into questions about parks and natural spaces in Edmonton. And today, we begin in one of those parks that Edmontonians visit the most, a playground. This playground has wood chips. I know, I don't know about the wood chips. Like, you don't get them in your shoes. Well, you do get them in your shoes, and then you get, like, slippers. It's pretty spectacular. <laughs> I was very skeptical of wood chips, but they're actually quite soft. And uh, yeah, I don't mind. Okay, let's they're jump. Fancy. This is a very grown-up way of entering this question. Yeah, I was like, are we? Is this? Were <laughs> 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 we just gonna do an analysis of playground surfaces? So we're here at the Our Lady of Mount Carmel playground which is in the Queen Alexandra neighborhood where I live. And uh, joined today by our friend, friend of the podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Catherine Guanyin Lennon, and I am an Edmonton resident, born and raised here um, in Edmonton Tree Six territory. And I have been spending a lot of time in playgrounds over the last two years. I have a toddler and um, I also have a background in community planning and spent a little bit of time thinking about playgrounds like back when I was uh, working on my master's degree and yeah I've always just been interested in how communities fit together and having spent a lot of time in a play in playgrounds as as a parent and kind of seeing how things work from a, a toddler's eye view has been really fun over the last over the last while. Yeah. Catherine and my fellow producer Trevor Chow Fraser here both have young kids, including Trevor's daughter Elliot running around the background here. So they've got a lot of experience searching for the best playgrounds in town. And that got Catherine curious. Uh, last summer, because our kids are my youngest is about the same age as your oldest only. <laughs> last summer, I remember we spent a bunch of time going to different playgrounds and Midway through the summer, I think you, you, we were kind of joking, but I don't know, maybe it actually happened that you were like on a tour of all of Edmonton's playgrounds mm-hmm. to try and find the best one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, can you tell me how, how, did that, how did that work out? Yeah, um, I thought of that because I think, you know, going through COVID times and then having a child, you don't really get to travel anymore. So every time people would say like, oh, do you have any trips planned for the summer? I would say, yeah, we're going to just, we're going to playgrounds around the city. And like, that will be, that will be our summer adventure. And, um, it was, it was kind of joking, but it also was true. And it was really fun, um, fun to see different parts of the city. And uh, at the time we were living in Oliver, a downtown neighborhood. So there were a few playgrounds around us. I think even before COVID, I really liked just kind of checking out different playgrounds. Like if I was happened to be shopping in a part of town, we'd just stop, you know, do a do a little <laughs> half hour in a playground. Really? Yeah. With, with just, or without kids? Uh, this is like, you know, just me. No, no, no. <laughs> this is with Elliot when she was a bit younger. Um, and it was fun just to see the different types of playgrounds. But you reminded me of last year. <laughs> yeah, like coming out of all the COVID restrictions, 
just being able to leave your house and go to a playground was kind of ecstatic mm-hmm. um, and like doing a little bit of travel around the city because um, you know even in 2020 like just going around the city was kind of weird because yeah. the playgrounds were taped up right oh yeah yeah they were closed for so long yeah, that's true that's true with, like yellow caution tape <laughs> yeah so how many playgrounds do you think you ended up going to Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I figured we probably ended up at four playgrounds every weekend. Um, you know, not every time a new one, but um, that's why I thought we could hit every playground in the city over the summer. Because I thought if we're at at least four playgrounds a weekend, I don't know how many weekends are in a summer, but what? Ten? Ten. I mean, like summer vacation. Okay, that's not that many. <laughs> That'd be like 40 or 50. So yeah, I don't think we hit that many. Maybe, maybe 20, maybe 30. Um, that's a lot well if you think about it like we would usually go to a playground at least one in the morning at least one in the afternoon (laughs) if you have Saturday Sunday then maybe you have weekends (laughs) Um, we can easily do four playgrounds in a day now especially when there's um, playgrounds that are like a short walk right you can do the circuit Mm -hmm. so from our where we live now uh, we have three playgrounds in within like I don't know four blocks and so yeah we, we do the circuit they each have names there's pickle pickle park because it's beside the pickleball court <laughs> tower park because it has a tower and then blue park because there's a lot of blue really good one uh that we only went to once last summer is rocket ship park and i don't know if that's the official name but you'll know why it has a giant actually it's all space themed and it has a giant rocket ship tower So we wanted to bring you in to ask your question, which came out of your experience last summer. What's your question? What is the best playground in Edmonton? (laughs) A very worthy question, and actually the question I've been waiting to answer all season. (laughs) (laughs) But how do you start looking for the best of something? You got to start by figuring out how you're going to rate it. For Catherine, there are a bunch of things that go into making a playground great for her and for her toddler Yasin. I mean, I, my first thought is I think we need to have kids. <laughs> You're just, I mean, I feel like kids are the best judge. <laughs> like shade is very important. So having, like the surroundings of the playground are important. Um, I mean, I think like location is important. Obviously, like you want it to be um, easy to walk to from lots of different directions. But yeah, I think when I go to playgrounds in the summer, which is most of the time, we, well, most of the time we spend in playgrounds, um, I always, I'm really grateful when there's trees or some sort of shade structure. Um, I think, yeah, sometimes that gets overlooked, I think, in the design. But yeah, I think having shade around and then, um, this is not the playground itself, but the things around it. So having places to sit or picnic tables or places to gather because people want to gather at playgrounds. Like, you know, we've been to so many kid birthday parties or, you know, you want to meet up with a bunch of friends and it's an easy place to hang out. Um, you know, we can just bring a picnic, get ice cream, hang out in the park. So I think I really appreciate it when there's, yeah, kind of some place to set up, whether it's just a shady area or, you know, with trees or like a shade structure. Yeah, I think in terms of the playground itself and the play structures, um, often you'll notice playground might, playgrounds might have stickers that say like the structures for ages two to five or five to twelve. Yeah, you notice this when, when you spend a lot of time in playgrounds. <laughs> so it's nice when there's um, a variety of 
of um, you know equipment for different ages because when you have um, you know when you have a little one that's just learning to crawl or walk they can't do you know they can't do or if the structures are too big obviously they can't do any they can't engage with them at all <laughs> so it's nice to have a variety we talked about the sort of tension between worrying about safety of old equipment and researchers exploring how playgrounds can be protected as heritage spaces because they're a big part of our collective memories of growing up. We'll meet one of them a little later in this episode. We used to go on those like really those metal spiral slides and everything was wood and everything was slivers and everything was like way too tall. <laughs> like I remember climbing on this jungle gym structure in elementary school that was just kind of like metal cubes stacked on top of each other but it was I don't know it's probably like at least two stories tall right and you know that you wouldn't see that now but but it sounds like um, one of the things that makes a really good playground is that it allows kids to stretch and learn learn something about themselves yeah. Maybe that's... that's nice I like that it's interesting I noticed um, there's the playground at Kinsman I think it's now called like Bears Grizzly Bear Lodge. Grizzly Bear Lodge or something. Um, but there's one structure in there that I remember from my childhood. It's a rocket ship. But it, it was so cool to see it because I was like, oh, they kept this. Everything else about the playground, I think, has been updated. And I think they painted it a different color. But it made me just wonder. I was like, oh, are there structures like that around the city where, you know, maybe not the whole playground has been uh, maintained, but maybe there's, you know, a piece of equipment that somebody thought was worth keeping I, I know that exact like rocket ship yeah. piece and I didn't know because I, I only visited that park after the redesign mm -hmm. but yeah now that you say it out loud it obviously doesn't fit the theme of the rest of the playground um, and it's like totally the most popular piece mm -hmm. of equipment there's literally lineups of kids timeless. who want to like use that yeah. <laughs> so Catherine yeah. what are the stakes well I think I think finding the best playground I mean it would be obviously a place I would want to go. Um, I think we could probably learn something from it about what makes, um, you know, what makes a really good community space. But I think concrete, like more concretely, if we find the best playground in Edmonton um, and we figure out what, what makes it so great, then hopefully that can, you know, inspire like other playground design or playground redevelopment. This is a very unselfish answer. You're, you're all like curiosity and intellectual driven and like well, design I said, driven. I don't want to tell everyone because we also want to go there. <laughs> and not have to line up for the rocket ship. <laughs> but if we do know the best one and we encourage people to make more parks like it, yes. then it's good for everyone. There's less lineups. Yeah. And we could promote the second best one on the podcast and then just keep the best one for ourselves. <laughs> no. <laughs> Elliot, how are the monkey bars? I need a more thorough review. Good! So Trevor and I set out to help Catherine answer her question. And the first thing I want to do is introduce her to that fellow historian who's been thinking about playgrounds as heritage sites. She's in Nanaimo, so we set up a Zoom call and Catherine, Trevor, and I smooshed together so we could all fit in the frame. I just want to make sure it's muted. Okay. Wait. My name is Laura Susky. I live in Nanaimo, British Columbia, and I teach at Vancouver Island University in the departments of sociology, 
uh, global studies and liberal studies. And I'm interested in childhood and play and the distinction between public and private and home. And I'm getting more and more interested in the public space in which I live and the community in which I live. So what got you thinking about playgrounds specifically as like potential heritage sites? (laughs) Yeah, it's a couple of pieces coming together, but I am a parent and um, I'm a parent now of uh, teenagers and I'm also a dog owner. So um, I'm continuing to go to these playground spaces now with my dog and without my children. And it made me think about how that space has changed in meaning and in memory and in experience. And also made me think about how long that space is going to be there and how other people enjoy it. And this question of whether we should be thinking about preservation of particular pieces of equipment, particular spaces. And it's a complex question for which I actually don't yet have an answer to. Was there a particular playground that made you think of this? Like somewhere where you saw a change or like, oh, there's a thing that's the same. Um, It's probably more that it was the sameness of playgrounds that <laughs> was getting to me that it was more the question of was it really worth preserving i would go from space to space and i would see a kind of sameness and i was almost sort of saying goodbye to these spaces all the time because i never expected them to be preserved i didn't think it was it was necessary that they were beautiful or or worth preserving but at the same time i was having these very strong kind of emotional connections to these spaces it would make me sad when i would see them empty and there weren't children in them anymore Uh, um, and i was still feeling very strongly that they were really important public spaces so for a playground you know I started to think about, should we be remembering play? Is there a social significance to that question for all of us, not only for children, but for adults too? There are some inherent challenges in trying to preserve a space that's designed to take a lot of wear and tear, that's outside in harsh weather all year long, that's being banged and rattled and stomped on by kids. And then there's this larger part of it that childhood itself changes and playgrounds tend to reflect what parents think and citizens think children should do. So there is a history of playground that reflects in many ways kind of history of the history of childhood and the history of childhood play. So we we design playgrounds for children that we think would be good for them, that would encourage good play in our own ideas, in our own terms. Laura said all this makes it complicated to try to preserve play by preserving individual elements of a playground, like a historic slide. You were, uh, you were talking about that, kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of that same example. Of a specific structure? The rocket mm-hmm. ship at 
Kinsman Park? Oh yeah, I was I was thinking about yeah specific structures and how there's um, I don't know if you've been to Edmonton Kinsman Park. There's a rocket ship structure that I played on a lot as a kid, and I was taking my toddler to the park and noticed it's still there, even though the whole park has been you know probably redone at least once or twice since I was a child. Um, the theme of the park is now bears, but there's one rocket ship, and it's been painted, but it's still there. And we were talking about how it's one of the most popular. Um, pieces of equipment um, and yeah it just got us thinking about are there other pieces of equipment like that that are maybe more like timeless or open-ended I mean it's probably what the materials have endured but maybe there's something about the I don't know it's more whimsical it's more interesting it's not just like you said the same you know the sameness of playgrounds it's not it's something you remember you there's only one that I've seen you know yeah, and so is it made of metal? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a few, I find in my research, a few of those structures that have lasted. And as you all know as well, there's so much debate also about safety, right? And so we know that that mm-hmm. predicted the history of playgrounds for the last 20 years, that the safety issues have determined what our structures look like. And so some of those more interesting structures were probably dismantled because of that and maybe some that weren't as tall survived. I think there's also um, this question of where children belong in public spaces and and playgrounds are one of the only spaces where everyone sort of agrees and accepts children belong there. There are fewer and fewer spaces where children belong in public spaces and I, I don't mean that in uh, a way to say like they should stay at home but it's really quite remarkable that if we if we look at North America that children are in schools and they're in playgrounds and when they're in other different pl- public spaces they're supposed to be under supervision and they're supposed to be with adults so that alone I think is mm-hmm. something for us to think about as a society. I was thinking too, can I just ask, because I, I was thinking of the flip, you know, maybe playgrounds, like when you talked about the sameness, I was thinking of, you know, something comparable, like, you know, maybe in terms of heritage, like it's an aspect of urban form, you know, like, oh, we have like the neighborhood corner store, we have the neighborhood playground, like it's something that uh, is there and it's okay to be the same. But I was thinking about the experience of going to the playground, you know, having, giving your sense, like, as a young parent, as a new parent, oh, it's a, it's a, it gives me meaning to my day, or yeah. a destination, or a sense of purpose, like, I'm, I have something to do, I have somewhere to go, <laughs> and um, kind of thinking about playgrounds as that, like, gathering place, yeah. um, so maybe that intangible heritage as well, so not, you know, on the, the flip side of them all being the same, maybe it's not even about the equipment, but it's about having that gathering space. I mean, maybe that's because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> but, you know, I thought, well, maybe there's something, there's something about that, like having that excuse to be somewhere or to be outside. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't I th- know if that's something. Yeah, no, I think it definitely encounter. is something. And, and I know that when I've, when I talked about playgrounds, sometimes people said, well, like, like, do you, necessarily need to preserve the structures because is it really just about the space and 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 that is some of the discussion in sort of 
some of the research that I've done around sort of like, let's say American um, playgrounds that the argument is really just like, oh, play is ephemeral. You just really can't keep it. The important part is to keep the space. And I do think there's something really interesting about that idea of a community space and a gathering and the structure to the parenting day. But I also do think there's something about embodiment and play and the materiality of it that that is important. And this is why perhaps it's really complex. The question is really complex. And we have to be careful about being too nostalgic about our own childhoods. And we have to be careful also be, about being idealizing play, right? Like sometimes it's just really boring and monotonous. And sometimes as a parent, I would bring my kids to the playground when I didn't want to interact with them anymore, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So there's, it's just, it, it can't be idealized, but uh, it, it, I think there's just more questions for us, for us to ask. <laughs> What's your dog's name? My dog's name is Hugo. Hugo. Yeah. Okay. Does Hugo have any taste in what kind of parks you go to? <laughs> he kind of gets, you know, he likes to, he likes to go to the same one. Sameness doesn't really bother him. He likes those same sniffs. He likes all of it. Um, so he's a, he's a comfort kind of dog. And uh, so he keeps me going to the playgrounds. He keeps me thinking about these questions at seven o'clock in the morning. And um, yeah, and interestingly, there's um, my playground kind of went through a revitalization about I guess about 19 years ago and part of it involved public art and my son's we traced my son and you know did some painting of it and the tracing of him is stuck on one of the fences and it's still there so that probably speaks to all of this nostalgia that I have because I'm I go and I see him as a kid in this kind of playground Mm -hmm. kind of space Cool. He's gone, but his 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 figure is still there. So, yeah. But I do think playgrounds are just really fascinating and interesting. And I just think the best ones are yet to come if we keep asking really um, big questions about what we want from them and what we want for play, what we want for children, what we want for, yeah, public spaces. I like that idea of the the best is yet to come. That's really sticking with me because I think you're right about the sameness and, you know, why? Why can't we have? Yeah. <laughs> why do they have to be? I agree. We're going to we're going to find we're going to find the best one and hopefully make many more best ever playgrounds. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be curious to see what you guys land on. Having had our brains expanded by Laura, Trevor and I connected with the one person in Edmonton who's probably gone to more playgrounds than anyone. We'll run around with her in a minute, but first. This podcast is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. Here are some kind of staggering stats. Did you know that the number of Albertans experiencing food insecurity jumped from 12.3% in 2011 to 20.3% in 2022? You might have felt this one. Over the course of 2022, food costs rose by 10.8% in Alberta. And did you know the cost of healthy food for a year for a family of four has increased by nearly $5,000 since 2013? 
Every year, the Edmonton Community Foundation produces a report called Vital Signs to measure how the community is doing in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council. This year's report focuses on food security, how it's changed over the last 10 years, and where we are today. You can see the latest report at ecfoundation.org slash initiatives slash vital dash signs. That's ecfoundation.org slash initiatives slash vital dash signs. Don't forget about our live show coming up Thursday, September 21st, How to Make a National Park. Doors are at 7, the show's at 7.30. It's at the Alfred H. Savage Center on Fox Drive in the beautiful White Motor Veen. And I can now announce that our guests include Parks historian Lauren Markowitz, Mac Mail from our sister Taproot podcast, Speaking Municipally, and Miranda Jimmy, who's the project coordinator for the National Urban Park Initiative with the Confederacy of Treaty 6 First Nations. Should be a really interesting night and a lovely way to cap everything we've been learning this season. How to Make a National Park, Thursday, September 21st. Tickets on letsfindoutpodcast.com. All right, so now that we had some things to chew on about what's worth preserving in playgrounds, we headed out to get an expert analysis of the most fun and convenient and thoughtfully designed playgrounds around today. Catherine and Trevor and I met in the north side neighborhood of Inglewood at the majestic Inglewood Rocket Ship Park. Trevor's toddler Cohen was kind enough to test out the slides and swings for us, of course. Hi, uh, I'm Chris. You're Chris. I'm Jill. Hi, nice, nice to, meet, to you. meet you. Thanks How are for you? coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, Trevor is running around with uh, Cohen at the moment. Okay. Trevor! With the hat. Uh, and this is our guest, Catherine. Hi, Hi Catherine. I'm Jill. It's nice, nice to, meet to meet you. Jill Foots and her kids have been playtesting playgrounds all around Edmonton for a few years now. Hi, my name is Jill Foots, and I am the creator of an, uh, it started as an Instagram account called Edmonton Playgrounds, and now we have a website too. I always say I am a TV producer by day, and I am a playground appreciator by night. So <laughs> I don't know that I necessarily bring any expertise to this, but I do bring a great level of appreciation for the playgrounds that we have. And as of today on our um, website, there are 380 Edmonton and area playgrounds posted on the website, and we haven't been to all of them, believe it or not. Oh my God. And we do, we cover Edmonton and then all the surrounding communities. So Leduc, Beaumont, um, Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan, St. Albert, Stony Plains, Bruce Grove, Devon. We cover them all. So, but the majority of our playgrounds are obviously in Edmonton. And so my daughters and I, for the last three years, have been touring all these playgrounds, capturing them in photos and videos, and then sharing it with our followers. And now we have a resource on the website where people can go and find out information about any park, any of the 380 that we've been to that they would like to see. So why did you start doing that? <laughs> it, I'll give you the Coles Notes version of the story. <laughs> um, when my daughters were born, I stayed at home for five years. Uh, so I was a stay-at-home mom. And in that time, I started working for another family-related website in the city. And uh, I learned about blogging and I learned about Instagram and, and Facebook and sharing stuff and how popular playgrounds were. Whenever I shared playgrounds, they were so popular. And then I went back to work full-time when my daughters were five and a half years old. They were in kindergarten. And... Um, a month after I got back to my full-time job, the pandemic hit. And I'm very fortunate, still had my full-time job, but was at home, working from home like everybody else. Playgrounds were shut down for a month. And then they reopened about a month after. I think it was about a month they were shut down for. They reopened, and I had, from, from my five years of being with them, I had hundreds, thousands of photos on my phone. And I thought, well, I'm just going to start an Instagram account. Like, I'm just going to just gonna do it. Not going to even start the, with a website, just starting an Instagram account. And because that summer, there was nothing for people to do. There was no... People weren't traveling that summer. There was no school uh, camps for kids. There was nothing. So 
people were looking for anything to do with their kids and it just kind of started off like wildfire and then it kind of grew from there. Jill told us about a lot of ways newer playgrounds are being built to welcome all sorts of different kids. From rethinking the height of play structures to thinking outside the sandbox. Can you tell us a little bit about where we are today? We're at Rocket Ship Park, and it has a three-story rocket, which is just incredible. It's an incredible climber. It has two super slides zipping out of it. It has one of the coolest dome rope climbers in the city, and it's inclusive. It's completely rubber-based throughout, and it has a really fabulous toddler park, too, which is great. It has other inclusive equipment, like some ground-level uh, features that, that kids can play on, ground-level games, inclusive swings, that sort of thing. So it's really a great all-around park that I think every kid no matter what level they're at is going to have fun at they're going to love it whether they're you know early walkers like Cohen or whether they're um, uh, older kids they have a challenge in something like the rope climber thing so but the neat thing is is that this playground is completely rebuilt uh, it's coming up on its second anniversary so almost two years ago and the red rocket um, which is the little rocket, not the big giant rocket, but the little red rocket is actually original to the old park that was here. And the old park that was here, if anyone remembers it, because this is a great sledding hill in winter, and my, the girls and I had come here to sled one day, and there was this old playground here, and literally all it was was, I think, a, there was a tire climber up to a little slide, and something else, and the rocket. Mm-hmm. And they kept the rocket in the design when they redesigned this one, which is phenomenal. Aww, that's so cool. We were, we were talking about, like, what is savable in parks what's worth saving and that's 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 pretty rare i don't know of many where a piece has been kept like that so i think it's pretty rare and it's it's a pretty nice touch for this park i think it's funny because we were talking about that last time because i guess there's at least two of those in the city apparently because there's one at kinsman park and i was telling them i was like i remember going to that park as a kid and everything has been redesigned but they kept the rocket ship they've painted it (laughs) red and it used to be three colors um but i guess there's two of them at least in the city <laughs> but. okay Catherine, what 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 are you curious about that we can help you find out uh, on your quest today hmm. what do you think makes a really good park what are some of the the features or i don't know the the characteristics that that make a really good park there's so many ways to answer that and even there's so many ways to answer that at different ages right because different parks are different for different age groups and different kids and different abilities and so I think if we're looking for something that makes an all-around great park it's something like this park rocket ship park or Clairview where they've really put a lot of thought into making the park inclusive to everyone and and there are so many features about inclusive play that go beyond just the surfacing which is obviously a great starting point but there are um, there are playgrounds now that have sensory um, I think they're called sensory seats where there are it's like a little cubby that you can sit in kind of get away from the noise and maybe the chaos of the playground and there's different features on the walls so that's you know for a kid that maybe needs just some space and just a little break there's something like that there are more and more playgrounds and every Edmonton Catholic school playground has one of these and I'm seeing them at more places too has a core board or a, a variation on that whatever it they're called different things in different places but it's a communication board so if people have uh, don't speak the same language someone's uh, nonverbal they have a way of communicating by pointing to some of the different signs that are on the board so that's a really cool feature for making a playground inclusive how do you define <laughs> inclusive in the playground context 
Yeah, the, and I don't know that there's one answer to that question, but I think inclusive, an inclusive playground, first of all, offers uh, the ability for people to um, move through the space, whether they use mobility aids, whether they're in a wheelchair. Uh, it doesn't mean that every single surface, I mean, Rocketship Park, we're very lucky here. It's completely rubber-based, but um, oh, as long so as going to get stuck in sand. Exactly, and even wood chips. Now, unfortunately, Unfortunately, I believe wood chips are technically classified as an inclusive surfacing, which is why we see them so often. Um, but anyone who says, have you ever tried to push a wheelchair or move a wheelchair through wood chips? I can't imagine that. I don't imagine that that works very well. Jill had some important recommendations for Catherine to chew on. Um, well, Catherine, have you been to Clairview? inclusive no, playground I, yet I that's, to, you mentioned that yeah. yeah that's one that i just think is such it, it's such a um, flagship for edmonton yeah. really like it's it is a playground that is can be all things to all people because there is stuff there that's challenging there's it's extremely inclusive in everything that it offers and yeah it's it's a great park all around um have you been to borden park yet mm, have i been there you know what not not with a child yet <laughs> so that uh, one is yeah. my personal favorite because and i know you're not supposed to pick a favorite but it is my favorite and it's not it's not for any necessary reason but I just think that it's a timeless classic it's a beautiful playground like visually it's so beautiful and it's there's nothing else like it in the city and so it's such a special spot but it's also set in a beautiful green space um, that has access to bathrooms which is a rarity at at Edmonton playgrounds unfortunately Um, and lots of beautiful public art in that space as well so there is that um, is that playground like a historic one or is it is it just I don't know the age of it I don't think it's particularly historic I would suggest it's probably in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 years old but I'm just ballparking wouldn't that be like one of the first parks in Edmonton Borden Park not the the playground but yeah I mean I guess the look the playground it is indeed listeners Borden Park was built in 1906 originally called East End City Park Okay, so Borden Park, that's the one with like the kind of like, they look like melted ice cream kind of sculptures called the Willows, those colorful rainbow things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so you could describe it in so many ways. You're all, I think you're both describing it beautifully. (laughs) It's big, colorful sculpture and... uh, yeah, I think that one I have fond memories of too because the girls and I were there the very first time we visited in the winter. It was a beautiful winter day and it was bright sun and we had the whole place to ourselves and we played like tag around the vaulted willow and we were looking for the playground. We couldn't find it because it's so naturally colored and like it blends into the trees in that park and then we finally stumbled upon it. And Yeah, it's a special spot. That makes me think of, there's one in Laurier Park that you've probably been to that's similar where you almost don't notice it. It's tucked away in the forest and it's a very like forest themed park, very um, like natural materials. And I think some of the structures look like leaves. So you really feel like you're in a, like a little woodland creature. Woodland has a coyote. So, I mean, that's, it's such a beautiful park. Uh, you, you mentioned the work that goes into building a good playground. What does having a good playground or a lot of good playgrounds express to you about a community? I think that we are so fortunate to live in a community where our city, first of all, our city has put a priority on, on play spaces. Um, our our community members, whether they are the parents that are raising money for school playgrounds or whether they are the businesses that are contributing to them, have been able to put money and time and effort and volunteerism behind these projects to get them done and I just I think we're really lucky because um, 
I know there's a lot, I, just to have the spaces that we have for our kids, those people are champions of our community in my opinion. Chris, I think you have to make a disclosure at this moment. Mm. About my mom? Yes. yes I was going to say that too. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Chris. Because she's just Everyone talking about your mom so much. Yeah. Okay. <gasps> my mom, um, when I was in elementary school at Westbrook Elementary, she helped do the fundraising and project planning with the parent committee there to completely rebuild the playground. And Catherine was recently at that playground. Oh, which one is it? Um, it's the um, Westbrook School Playground, but it has a name. It's named after a former principal let me find it because Chris's mom was just telling me and then I ended up there last weekend it's the Westbrook playground um, honoring the memory of Keith Muirhead who was a former principal of the school yeah your principal yeah he taught me cartooning oh that's so cool it's it's kind of you know the blue twirly slide era of playgrounds yeah (laughs) and yeah, it's great because it's not as splashy as the newer playgrounds, but it's it's funny because sometimes we go to the playground next door that's bigger, and then my son always wants to run over. To, he calls it the yellow park because there's a lot of yellow Aww. in the in the slides. Something about it draws him there. It's yeah. been such a long time since I've been to that playground. Yeah. <laughs> so a little we, older than 12. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to the Aspen Gardens community playground, mm. and I haven't gone across mm. and done oh, the school okay. yet. Yeah. So there we go. I'll have to get over there and do that one and add it to the website. <laughs> so. uh, my mom would be thrilled. <laughs> and you, listeners, also sent us lots of recommendations. Some of you were thinking on similar wavelengths to Jill, who shared a sampling. Um, okay, so the Meadowlark Community League Excellent. sent us a message. Okay. Um, so they said they'd like to vote for one of the best smaller playgrounds in Edmonton, being the playground in Meadowlark Park. Years of fundraising and dozens of volunteer hours went into what we think is a pretty good playground. Um, we think it's a playground that has things for kids of all ages. There's an area for younger kids yep. with a baby slash parent swing and other equipment for toddlers. They also have a rope climber, climbing wall, and classic merry-go-round. I do think what sets us apart, though, is having two zip lines in the playground. Okay, you're, you're familiar with this, oh, too. Oh, very familiar with this. <laughs> Definitely something unique, especially in more mature neighborhoods. We've been featured and reviewed well on Edmonton playgrounds. <laughs> they have, it's true. I see the princes all the time. They love that park. And Family Fun Canada, which uh, I, I'm not familiar with, but that was the you got account a that I worked for <laughs> during my maternity leave, and I probably posted about oh, them, those. too, at that point. So those are probably both written by me. Um, Okay, so some shorter ones. These were just from like Instagram, like a little question box. Um, So we had a listener say, if only the Valley Zoo rock playground was free access. This is a grown-up posting that. Um, Gold Bar Park mid-90s. I will never forget the tower slide. (laughs) They don't have the tower slide anymore, but Gold Bar Park is still one of the classic big wooden playgrounds in Edmonton, built around a tree. and, And it has a really sweet little splash pad, and it's like literally steps away from Gold Bar School so there's a more modern playground too so it's like one of those spots where you can park and spend the whole day Catherine and um, hit basically a spray park and two really great playgrounds so mm, I nice. love Gold Bar Park Playground, have... Gold Bar Playground Okay, okay so uh, another Instagram listener, Rio Terrace when I was seven, Rocket Ship Park in Inglewood now uh-huh. here we are uh, Kinsman and the Giant Slides were pretty top when I was mm-hmm. a kid People are still bitter that those two slides have been taken off. Like, there was two yes. slides built into the hill, right, Catherine? Yeah. And people are still... I get messages about it sometimes. And people are like, why Why did Kinsman take out those slides? So, yeah. It's like, you're a, your name is Edmonton Playgrounds. You're responsible for this. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they're not blaming me directly, but... 
Um, um, so this one was from uh, Chris, uh, who runs the Dr. Evie RPG Twitter account. Uh, so uh, Chris says, um, Gold Bar Playground. This playground has a special place in my heart for many reasons. Number one, it was massive. <laughs> it was basically a fort and multi-story. Number two, it was kind of dangerous, which added to the appeal. <laughs> and then number three, apparently what intrigued Chris about this one is they uh, went looking for pictures in the Edmonton and Alberta archives and found nothing. <gasps> So, uh, must be a cover up. No, listeners, if you have pictures of the Gold Bar Playground, um, they're very interested in seeing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have huge appreciation for playgrounds and the spaces and just what they mean to children and whether their parents are with them or not. And we see that all over the city. Like you see in different places of the city where there's always all the parents there, and there's different places of the city where none of the parents are there, and it's just kids going wild on their own. But you see how important those spaces are to kids, and I truly believe that. I think playgrounds are incredibly important to kids. And it's kind of like that old book you might remember, uh, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Kids learn how to socialize. They learn how to negotiate. They learn, you know, skill life skills on playgrounds physical skills and mental skills and emotional skills and and i i strongly believe playgrounds are super important for our kids cohen is currently acquiring knowledge about trucks um from a book that another family has handed That's your book. It's a great oh, book. oh i see. used to have that book too <laughs> Now that Jill had given us the 411 on the best modern playgrounds in town, we wanted to meet one final guest who could help us understand how we got here. Hobbinton got its first really big wave of playgrounds built. And this time we drove over to Dermot District Park, which is right next to the Bonnie Dune Leisure Center on the south side. On the car ride over to Dermot District, I told Elliot and her little brother Cohen where we were driving. Hey, hey Elliot. Hi. Hey, Cohen. Hi. <laughs> Where are we going today? A park. Hi. Hi. Uh, we're going to one last playground. Is this the last play- playground ever? Like all the other playgrounds are going to be destroyed? Cohen, are they going to be destroyed? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see. Armageddon. Catherine met us there with her partner Mo and their kid Yasin. No, 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 it was good. I was good, yeah. I, I'm more watch Yasin and hopefully not y- y- him yelling in the back. It was another one of those orangey, hazy wildfire days we've had this summer. But it didn't seem to slow the kids down much, and our guest was happy to have a chance to refresh herself on her master's project. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Cool. Hi. I'm Chris. Paulina. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I, I'm just wearing a mask because of the smoke. I'm Catherine. Catherine, Hello. nice to meet you. Yeah, Paulina. Um, thank you for bringing me back to my historical piece, which I barely remembered. I was telling Trevor, I went this morning and downloaded my research. I'm like, what did I write? What was this all about? <laughs> Hi, my name is Paulina Ritamales. I am currently the Wild Child Coordinator for Sierra Club Canada Foundation. I'm working um, with four schools and uh, a lot of uh, programs that have to do with unstructured outdoor play. Our guest Paulina wrote her thesis on the Gyro Club's development of playgrounds in Edmonton during her master's in phys ed and recreation at the U of A, and she published on it with Pearl Ann Reichwine. These were very actively programmed spaces, not just places where people set up teeter-totters and left it at that. 
Helena, thanks for coming here to share your knowledge about the gyro or gyro parks? Gyro. Gyro parks, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> we're looking for the best playground. And, you know, some people think that age is what's most important. <laughs> a well-aged playground, <laughs> a vintage playground. So can you tell us uh, what the, how did the gyro parks uh, help form the foundation of Edmonton's playground system and mm -hmm. are they the best parks? Okay, I don't know if they're the best playgrounds because the, actually the gyro parks that were constructed in the 1920s no longer exist. Right now the uh, the playgrounds that exist still today is Tipton Park and that one is at uh, Fort Edmonton. So they removed those pieces and took it there. But the interesting piece about uh, playgrounds in Edmonton and how it started was um, as you all may know, in the 1900s, there was a lot of people coming into the Edmonton and overall a lot of immigration coming. And there was these concerns about kids left on the streets behind for long hours. Um, and so also there was concerns from expressed through the local council of women in 1919 to Edmonton, to city of Edmonton, in regards to fatalities due to traffic, even if you don't believe that back then, and drowning in the North Saskatchewan River. So due to those, there was concerns and they um, expressed their concerns to the city of Edmonton and in 1920, city of Edmonton built the first three outdoor pools and they expressed, um, voiced uh, any uh, charity, uh, private charity that would be interested in taking along playgrounds. And so in 1921, the Gyro Club um, had formed and they decided to um, ha have playgrounds be their mission to help provide and support that social reform, a place for kids to be under supervision, which for them was very important. Did Gyro Clubs have any relationship to the sandwich? No. <laughs> no. Well, actually, this club uh, came started in 1912 in Cleveland, Ohio, and and it was brought here through uh, the um, these men in Edmonton that thought this was a good club to be part of, as a men's club uh, that built. And they decided a bit different to create the construct, but also to uh, oversee, maintain, and supervise playgrounds for over 20 years. And that's what makes it a di different from other areas in Canada. So, okay, what's a supervised playground? Okay. Is that I like, can... like Disneyland kind of thing? Like, what is it? <laughs> so they actually, what they did, um, so first playground was um, Patricia Park, known as Giovanni Kubota Park, and then Tipton, 1924, Tipton and Kitchener were the seconds. So though, yeah. yeah. Playground or okay. for my son. Awesome. How did you feel about that park? Well, it's very remodeled now, yeah. but um, I was just actually thinking a lot about it because it was brand new, I think, or fairly new. Um, it's all like railroad themed now. Um, but the best part about it was it was across the street from our apartment. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the playground we spent the most time in for. Yeah. Like the last, or I guess a year, um, and yeah, yeah, thinking about that. Yeah, so these three playgrounds became the heart of the city, the backbone of outdoor supervised plays in the summer. So they opened May to August, and they hired uh, what they called play directors. So not Disney, but play directors. Interestingly enough, these were men involved in active play. Most of them were undergrad students from U of A or um, phys ed students, and they would be there during the summer and they offered holistic 
outdoor play. So not focusing on athletics and sports and competition only, but there was, but also drama, uh, music, uh, arts, storytelling. So very different from what was being offered at that time. Um, what made it, again, very interesting and very different. So one, men actively involved in play. Second, the type of play they were offering. Um, so that made those three playgrounds a bit different and supervised at the same time. So that's why they, for them it was really important because a lot of families back in the days were working, well, maybe today too, long hours and left their kids alone. And they were just roaming around the city. So not only fatalities, but also learning from the streets. That was a big problem for them in Pretty social reform, right? Wow. What are they learning? What are they actually doing? And so what they thought... Um, that uh, what would be good for them in the playgrounds was supervised would keep them out of trouble. Speaking of roaming, it sounds more like a YMCA summer camp or, or like, yeah. like a green shack. It did oh, become like shack. a green shack. I do think the green shack follows those ideas of having a space for kids to be kind of under supervision. Um, but also interesting enough was that um, they created these opportunities for kids to roam around the city. So part of my research also was to do oral history interviews. And I was lucky enough to interview two um kids that played in the playground in 1936 and 1938 so right to the end of the gyro club programs but still part of them and um, their experience was that they were able to play part of the programs and supervise but also roam around the city and move from park to park so they did this inter-playground competitions and carnival parades around the city where they would um all the different parks and playgrounds would go with their play directors and show off what they have done through the summer hmm. so what that helped and what that allowed is for sense of place and community and citizenship so they would roam and walk from park to park long distances if you like if you think about where tipton is where kitchener and where uh, patricia park was it's a big distance they had to travel and so kids were doing that without parents and kind of partially unsupervised because basically they need to meet and go to these different areas. Mm-hmm. Walking from one space to another, getting to know your areas is quite different from what kids mm-hmm. can do today, I would think. When I was a kid, I had no idea the geographic relationship between places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of um, learning about your spaces and environments mm-hmm. with, uh, with these opportunities for sure. But also what came up in these uh, oral history interviews with uh, Sally Stewart, who played at Kitchener, 1936, 1944 to 1937, was that there was also unstructured play. And they were also going to the River Valley. So not only going to these playgrounds, maybe at some point, and she said a lot of it was friendships. Creating friendships in the playgrounds was key because that's where she met her best friend Peggy and they would play there but then they would go and walk and go to the river valley and do their own things at the ravine. Um, so it was not only at the playgrounds, it was a lot of moving around. What happened in the winters? So it, the, those summer was only like kind of like a green shack summer program and the winters playgrounds were open but it was unsupervised. Why did this program wind down? Uh, so the Jarrow Club, they not only had to fundraise to build them, they had to fundraise to maintain and to pay for these play directors. And they did it for uh, through all the crises uh, throughout those 20 years. But then uh, and 
after 1947, they were not able to continue to fundraise. It kind of like, like slowed down and money wasn't coming in, I guess. And they weren't able to continue. And also there was this, um, the local council woman was also complaining that this needed to be handed into uh, the city and city needed to take ownership of playgrounds. And that's what happened. So uh, starting 1945, I would say, before they headed out in 1947, uh, the city started taking over and uh, the Jar Club only was fundraising to build new playgrounds, more than maintaining and having those play directors in the summer. Were you able to find out why the city wanted to take charge of them? I think it was, in, in my perspective, I think it was just what every city was doing, taking over all the playground movement uh, and having the private uh, charity just move aside from it. Was it like you said that they kind of asked charities to take to take charge of building the playgrounds initially? Was that just kind of a the city couldn't do it I at that time? So. Yeah. So they- I think it was just budget, money, and capacity uh, during a period of crisis. And then I think they just um, took it over for 20 years because they were just doing a good job. And then when the time came, they just took over the city. And interesting enough, when you mentioned about Tipton uh, and they hold it, they were the ones that resisted the removal of the park. So Patricia and Kitchener, they were moved, I think, in the late 60s due to uh, safety concerns, right? They were too high, they were metal, so there was all these number of kiddos getting burnt because the slides were metal. And uh, Actually, I found some photos from your paper. Um, <laughs> this is one of the slides. Yeah. Like it's like two stories tall. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite the angle. And there's like a lineup, and there's people. People clearly like are excited to go. Oh, on. oh yeah, absolutely. So and tipped then, in. And this one's like a double. Oh yeah. A three-story double slide. <laughs> are these all the people on sliding it. down? Safety. Where was the safety there? Like 80 kids on the staircase. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I read that the tipped in gigantic slide was only removed in like 1997 so that's why it was the last (laughs) remaining gyro park because the neighborhood and the community fought for it and so they were really strong-willed people and I'm grateful for that because that slide was amazing as you can see in the pictures and everybody enjoyed it and there was history there right so uh, maybe not all the neighborhood there lived in the 1930s and 40s but their their grandparents their families right and and it passed along the history and the importance of having those pieces of outdoor play and those big slides that were removed because of health like health concerns we can debate about that in a different (laughs) conversation but definitely uh, that changed um, how play was uh, seen for like Edmontonians and around the world. Yeah. Safety became priority, uh, and that's when my perspective of outdoor play changes and those connections to unstructured play comes into place uh, because of those places that became so safe that there's not those opportunities for children to take uh, ownership of their bodies, of their movements, mm-hmm. of their uh, what they're doing and leadership skills come along with that and yeah. so many things that can come when when you have that outdoor play pieces that children can develop like overall, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean that's kind of topical because um, we could have met at Tipton Park, which I, that was what I initially thought, but I decided we should meet here at Dermot District Park, which is beside the Bonnie Dune Leisure Center. And it's, uh, it got my attention because it's 
on Google Maps, it says it's like a natural playground. And I wasn't really sure what that would mean. <laughs> but it, like a lot of the play equipment here is wood-based, and there's lots of climbing, like wood, rock structures. There's even just a like tree, like a dead tree. <laughs> I think you're supposed to just climb over this dead tree. Yeah, uh, but yeah I, mean, I don't know. The, what do you think of all this, like this natural playground kind of idea? How does that Yeah, I, I think definitely starting with that first question that came from our friend over here about what is the best playground. I think uh, the best playgrounds are those that allow for kids to take those risks and feel that they're taking those risks uh, and those challenges that will make them a better person in the future. I'm making those decisions of how to climb something and not necessarily, oh, you need to come down the slide. Why can't you just walk up the slide? Mm -hmm. Making those decisions <laughs> and, uh, and using the spaces on their own. These are intelligent little people. They know what they're doing and they need to take those risks to become definitely stronger and leaders in the future. Uh, so a listener, um, Rocky, had sent us an email that said um, she she kind of was questioning the premise of the question because she felt like playgrounds reflected kind of a too much corralling of children into structured play. She said, like, to her, the best kind of playground w would be the opportunity for a kid to go run around in the forest or to have, like, the freedom to play in the streets again because they wouldn't be dominated by cars. Yeah, and she she seemed to feel like playgrounds were built so that the cars could take over the streets <laughs> like to get the kids out of the way i don't know is that well <laughs> historically that historically yes it is it was meant to remove kids off the roads due to fatalities it was meant to remove kids from the river valley and the the, the north Saskatchewan river because they were drowning right uh but i think that was a piece of it i think there's way more into playgrounds. I think playground is a public space provided to those that don't have access to uh, forested areas. And that's giving more equality to kids and families. If we don't have the accessibility to the forested area, uh, this is the best they can get. And having these type of playgrounds where there's more um, natural pieces into it can provide that. That is, that is for sure straight up glass, Elliot. <laughs> Speaking of risk, yeah. we're standing beside some broken glass. Yeah. So given all of that, what would, you, what would be your takeaways for what makes the best playgrounds today in Edmonton? I would say the best playgrounds would be a playground that has loose elements for that creativity, that would have those natural elements uh, with uh, risks, opportunities, and, um, and the opportunity for kids to choose what they want to do, so not that directed. Is there one that you like to take your kids to that, that comes to mind because of that? I would definitely want to brought my kids here. I think uh, playgrounds are changing now in the, in the 2000s onwards. Uh, before that, a lot of them were, a lot of the like old playgrounds, teeter-totter slides. And uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the playgrounds today have taken those risks and uh, given soft surfaces for children to play where I think I would remove those. Um, but definitely I would bring my kids to this one. I think this is, this is one of the top ones in regards to risk and freedom and uh, loose elements and to nature pieces. What do you think your view is now on what makes perhaps the best playground in Edmonton? Um, I think 
I was thinking about it this morning, and I, I think maybe it's a bit of a non-answer, but I was thinking about uh, Kitchener Park and how that was the playground, the first playground we took our, our son to because it was across the street from where we lived and we could look out the window and see the playground every day and we could be there as soon as he woke up in the morning if we needed to get outside. And so how that playground was such a yeah so many great memories it was such an important fixture in our in our lives in our day um so I was thinking about how maybe the best playgrounds are the ones that are closest to you or the ones that you go to the most often and that's kind of where the the sense of place and community um comes in it doesn't have to be the one with the video game pillars or the three-story slide (laughs) well I think those are fun too I think having it also, I think it adds a lot to our city, having these really um, interesting playgrounds with different themes or different um, different experiences you can have. I think it, and, and having those as destinations, I think is really awesome because if you think about it, it's, it's an outdoor, it's a free accessible thing you can do um, when you have kids and, you know, most other things you'd have to, you'd have to pay to go, you know, have a unique experience. Um, so I think it adds a lot to our city to have these big destination playgrounds. Um, I think it also, also need like the little neighborhood everyday parks. Playgrounds are tied into sense of place and whether or not you want to spend time there isn't just about the equipment. It's about everything around it and how you feel about that space and like what memories like you create there. And That's awesome. I feel like we should now just play around with Yassine. And, <laughs> and go and ask. Around. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot, you found a dragon swing. I guess it could be, um, you know one of those battering rams you use to like knock down a castle door? Uh, yeah. You think we can all fit on? Someone has to sit on the edge. Here, I'll sit on the edge. Elliot, you're going to push us off? Whoa! (laughs) Whoa! I don't know about that. Guys, it says for 5 to 12-year-olds. Uh-oh. Do we add our ages? Or? Thanks for listening. Let's Find Out is a proud partner of Taproot Edmonton, a local journalism initiative that's doing fascinating, curiosity-driven, thoughtful reporting in our city. If you want to support Let's Find Out, become a Taproot member. For just 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks a year, you can help ensure that everyone continues to have free access to Let's Find Out and the other podcasts in the Taproot family, like Bloom and Speaking Municipally. Plus the rest of Taproot's coverage of city council and food and arts and tech. And by the way, you get free tickets for stuff like our live event. Learn more at taprootedmonton.ca join. This episode was produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and me, Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts, or SVP Stitcher. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to this month's guests, Catherine Guanyin Lennon, Laura Susky, Jill Foots, and Paulina Redamales. Additional research help for this episode from Karen Unland and many, many listeners, including the Metal Art Community League, Stella, Chris, and Rocky. 
Our playground testers included Mo Salama, Yassine, Elliot, and Cohen. Original music by the rocket ship of a lovely human being, Doug Hoyer, who has a country version out now of his song Dancing by the Light of the Refinery. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Until next time, keep your questions coming.